This morning is a one-off talk. <coughs> All our services today, we're going to talk about finances, about giving. It's a new financial year in many ways. Just started, we've got a new church budget which has many exciting projects and ministry opportunities in it and we need to be reminded of our obligations to be faithful stewards, givers. I hate talking about finances. I do not like talking about money. I don't even like talking about money with my wife, Rhonda, about our finances. I just don't like the topic. I like money. I just don't like talking about it. It stresses me out. When I have to do my tax returns, it's a stress time for me. Ten years into our marriage, I used to do all of our finances, and ten years into our marriage, it suddenly dawned upon me that I was doing all the finances, and that if I died, Rhonda wouldn't cope financially. She didn't know where our banks were, or you know, the banking system, and the accounts we had, and so I transferred it all over to her. I showed her what I was doing, and how we did it, and showed her how to do a budget, and now she's in control of our finances, and I don't have to worry about it at all. And of course now I'm praying that I die before she does. <coughs> because if she dies before me, then I haven't got a clue about how this thing is now operating. That's an honest statement. I don't like talking about finances. But I am quite happy to talk about commitment. I'm very comfortable talking about obedience and about submission, surrender, trust and stewardship. So we're going to talk about something which is pretty high on God's agenda. Larry Burkett whom some of you may have heard of, was a businessman who was, before launching, I think, Crown Ministries, Crown Financial Ministries is what he's founded. <coughs> I think that's the name of it. Before he did that, he was a businessman leading a Bible study. And one night in the Bible study, he shared with the guys, he had discovered 100 verses, 100 verses in the Bible that talk about money. Another person in the Bible study group said to him that he didn't actually think God was that interested in the subject. God wasn't concerned about us and money. It's materialistic and we ought not to worry about it. That motivated Larry Burkett to go do some further study and then it went to 700 verses. Crown Ministries now say that there are 2,350 verses. 2,350 verses in the Bible. I'm talking about money and possessions or associated goods. Um, what does that mean? It means that there are more verses on money and possessions in the Bible than there are of all of the letters that Paul wrote. From Romans to Philemon, all 13 of his letters, there's more in the Bible, in terms of number of verses, written about money and possessions than there is in all of that. Which indicates, Larry Burkett says, God obviously does care about how we handle our finances and our possessions because he gives us so much instructions about it. So this morning I want to read to you from God's Word. We're going to read four different passages. There's oodles we could have picked, but I've picked these four. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles or follow on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is where we will start. We'll read a couple from the Old Testament and a couple from the New, <coughs> and we are by no means being exhaustive. And then I will talk about just some biblical principles of giving and some principles of stewardship and then hopefully come with some helpful guidelines, a challenge for all of us to evaluate where we're at in terms of our giving. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6 is where we'll start. Excuse me. Deuteronomy 8, verse 6, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. 
<coughs> I'm reading from the NIV. It's Moses, the Lord speaking through Moses. <coughs> Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Sounds like Queensland, doesn't it? <coughs> An abundant place. Verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks go large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard, of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God challenging passage but also a comforting one that, and it contains good principles for us to take from it ultimately God is the God who provides for us it all comes from him and he blesses us with it but he also holds us accountable the passage contains a warning be careful that when you are blessed when your possessions do increase that you don't begin to misunderstand that it's your ability who is, that's doing this but in fact it's God's goodness and grace to you that he is providing these things for you and will hold you accountable for it money is a blessing but it can be a problem let's go to the second passage 1 Chronicles 29 which is a great prayer from David <coughs> who prays this prayer before all the people of Israel when uh, they had given very generously willingly to gather together resources to build the temple and a palace. And uh, it wasn't David who was going to build it, it was going to be his son Solomon, but David was instrumental in the initial gathering in of the resources, the fundraising project, if you like. This is David's prayer. Listen to the truths it contains for us about our attitudes to wealth and God. This is from 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10 and following. We'll go down to about... Verse 14. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory and the majesty and the splendour. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. 
Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. It's great truth, isn't it? Good reminder. God is the sovereign God who watches over us and who provides for us and in fact what we give is really his. We are giving back to him. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Two more readings, this time two from the New Testament. Context of this one is the Apostle Paul is travelling around to various churches that have been founded. <clears throat> He's on his way to the city of Corinth. He sent this letter ahead of him, uh, both correcting what was going on in the church, but also encouraging them to participate in this very large fundraising activity that was going on to raise funds for the saints back in Jerusalem, for those who were poor and persecuted and in great need. And Paul was on this uh, gathering expedition, raising a very generous gift for the brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. And his instructions to the Corinthians contain good guidelines, directions for us. This is 1 Corinthians 16, just the first few verses. We'll read verses 1 to 4. <clears throat> now about the collection of God's people. Do what I told or what I instructed the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the people, the men you approve, and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Do what I instructed the Galatian churches to do. Instructed. On the first day of every week, I assume that means as often as you get paid. Each one of you, no exception, should set aside a sum of money in keeping, it's proportional with his income, saving it up, setting it aside, so that when I come, there won't have to be the pressure of my personal presence to motivate you to give. Do it before I get there. Give out of your own hearts, that's what he's saying to them. And the last one, 1 Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 6, and there are two paragraphs in this chapter. Verses uh, 6 to 10 and verses 17 to 19. So firstly, 1 Timothy 6, verses 7 to 10. Paul says, uh, The godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I wonder if you know anybody of whom that's true. I do. That's literally true for them. 
Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that verse. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. True life, Paul implies, not found in having money. True life is found somewhere else. True life is found in using money as a means to an end. Well, what are some biblical principles? This comes up at website, bible.org, but I encourage you to go look it up, type in finances or tithing or giving. That'll take you to a whole series of articles and you can read those or sermons and Bible teaching on it. And I'll pinch some of this outline from that website. (coughs) Having a godly attitude towards our possessions. Not sure what your anxiety levels are like right now, but I would expect that they would also be rising. I hope they're not. But if they are, then that may need some reflection about where are we at, where am I at with my attitude towards God and finances and my obedience to him of what does he require of me. First thing to say, money and possessions are not evil. They are not evil. They can be a curse, they can be a problem, but within themselves they're morally neutral. It's what you do with them that determines whether it's a blessing or a curse. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.4 4 says that there are some false, false teachers who forbid marriage and eating certain foods. And Paul says, everything that has been created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. So money in itself is not evil. And I would be surprised if most of us didn't want more of it. I certainly want more of it. I would like to have more money. Not a lot more. Which I'll explain in a while. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Instruct those who are rich in this perfect world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of your riches but on God who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Money, as I said, can be a blessing. It can also be a curse. The passages that we have read indicate that sometimes people that have a lot of money, a lot of spare cash, if you like, a lot of investments, it can lead to conceit, it can lead to pride, it can lead to an attitude that we think we are better, that somehow God favours us more than others. It can do that for some people. It can also produce all sorts of fruitless friends, that they are your friends while you have money. The story of the prodigal son. When you don't have money, they're fair weather friends, they're gone. Not true friends at all. Money brings a problem with it. But money can be a great blessing when used properly. With money we can honour the Lord. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says to do that. To honour the Lord with the first fruits of your substance. With money we can help the poor. With money we can use it as a channel, a means to an end, to bring blessing to people, funding missionaries and funding the preaching of God's word. John Wesley preached this very famous sermon on giving in which he basically says three things. Number one, make all the money you can. Number two, save all the money you can. And number three, give all the money you can. 
make as much as possible, save as much as possible with an, an intention to giving it. Of not changing your lifestyle. Rick Warren, when he wrote that book, Purpose Driven Life, which went to uh, 40 million or more, became a multi-millionaire almost instantly overnight. He and his wife Kate made a commitment, we won't change our lifestyle. Don't change their house, didn't change their car, didn't change anything. And so all that money that has now come in, he is distributing that for other means, for the propagation of the gospel. That's the attitude that we have to have, I think, as followers of the Lord Jesus. That our heart to resonate with his heart to reach lost people. And God is giving us finances, resources, to enable us to do that. If God gives us, blesses us, and we hang on to it, then he's more than capable of taking it off us. Money and possessions are not evil. Money, in fact, is not ours. Somebody once asked a, a wealthy man, if your assets doubled overnight, a wise wealthy man, if your assets doubled overnight, <coughs> how much money would you then own? He said, the same amount that I own right now. Zero. I don't own it. I am entrusted with it. God owns it. It belongs to him. It's all his. He owns everything. And he has uh, apportioned some of it to me to responsibly care for. He says that if my assets doubled overnight, I still own the same amount, zero, but what I do have is an increased responsibility to now manage that extra resource that God has entrusted to me. It's a responsibility. There's an Episcopalian church in New York City. This is now a couple of decades ago. They had a member of their church, a small church, 40, 50 people, <clears throat> but very wealthy. And they had a very a person pass away who was very wealthy, and he bequeathed all of his $36 million to the church. And they now had $36 million, and they spent a considerable amount of time, I don't know what the answer is to this, but they spent a considerable amount of time asking the question, God, what do we do with it? It would be quite easy to take it and build a new building and to put it into their, their own comforts and things. But the responsibility was God has given us this and now we are to be stewards of it. What does God want us to do with this? And so they had to seek God to find the answer. Everything comes from him. Money is not evil, but it can be used for evil purposes. Money is a blessing from God and we are stewards of it for he owns it all and he will call us to give an account. When God does supply us with resources, and he does, what are our responsibilities? Well, I have a responsibility to my family, my wife, my kids, my grandkids. There's a responsibility there. I have a responsibility to my church family to contribute to God's work in this place, supporting the ministries and the work of this church, the work of God's Gospel. So I have associated with my church family, it's not just local church family, but it's also supporting missions and other organisations. I do believe that if we benefit from other people's ministries, be that via the internet uh, or tapes or whatever, is that we ought to be making some sort of contribution to supporting that. Is that we ought to be supporting those who are ministering to us. We have a responsibility for that. And thirdly, we have a responsibility not just to my family, just to our church family, but we also have a responsibility to the human family 
to assisting those who are poor and who are needy and that God calls us and will hold us to account. We are not to be hoarders. We are not to lavish all that God gives us simply upon ourselves. We are not to pursue wealth for its own means, for our own comforts. But rather money is a means to an end. It's an opportunity, excuse me, for us to show both trust and love for God and a commitment to his work in the world and love for people, being able to give to support them. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 gives Solomon, or the author of Proverbs, this proverb, an observation on life. That there are people who give away but their riches increase. Proverbs 11, 24. 25, there are those who hold tightly and even what they have, they suffer loss. God is no man's better. God gives to us in order to test us. Can I trust you with this? Are you a faithful manager of the resources I give? Well, <clears throat> some more biblical guidelines. Here are five quick ones. Biblical giving is not optional. It's mandatory. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1. That's what Paul instructed the Corinthians. Do what I instructed the Galatian churches to do. It's an obligation which comes upon us. We are commanded to be givers. We are under apostolic authority. And the context of this is immediately before this, the Apostle Paul has spoken about giving ourselves wholeheartedly to the work of the Lord. Chapter 15, verse 58. Uh, Not being slack or indifferent, knowing that our labour in the Lord will be blessed and will receive his reward. Biblical giving is not optional. Biblical giving and giving for us is in fact to be a priority. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 on the first day of the week to give regularly. Thank you, Trace. Bless you. Um, Some people don't give anything. Some people give spasmodically. Some people give a week and miss two. Give for two weeks, miss one. Some people give only when they are present. If they're absent or on holidays or sick, they don't catch up or give the apportion that they had indicated, decided beforehand that they would. Some people come to church services halfway through and if you miss the offering bags going around, they don't give. <clears throat> I have had people, I count on two hands over nine years, at the end of the service I've had people come up to me and say, listen, I missed the offering, Ken, and they give it to me. And then I have to go find the people and give it to them. It does happen that there are people who come with an attitude of, I am obligated, commanded by God to give, and I need to be faithful in doing it. I think most of us, are reasonably faithful, are good givers, generous. I mean, numerous times when I've challenged and invited you to dig deep and to give, to contribute to some cause, and you've been amazingly generous. So in many ways, I am speaking to those who already have these principles, but perhaps not all of us are there. So you need to check yourself. 
if we are committed to paying our bills, and I hope we are, if you're sick or if you're away on holidays, uh, you still pay your bills. Well, that should be the same attitude we have to giving to God's work. That his work is to be a priority. That's my point. Biblical giving is to be a priority. We give to God first. Not, I pay my bills, I look after the family, I buy the food, I do all of that, and then what's left over is God's. And it's the other way around. It's, as I'll come to in a moment, this is the amount of money I have determined that I am going to give to God. And I give that first. Now with what's left over is what I pay my bills with and with what I spend on luxury and items like that. I give to God first. Haggai chapter 1 is a very challenging chapter and I didn't read it this morning but I encourage you to read it. It's basically saying the children of Israel had been to exile, they had returned, the temple had been burnt and destroyed, it was awful, and they were in the rebuilding process and they were using second-hand materials and they weren't overly impressed. And the resources, the money that God had given them while in Babylon, when they came back with the resources, they took that money and they built these palatial two-stories, lovely panelled houses. The houses were magnificent, but the temple was second-rate. In Haggai chapter 1, it's the prophet challenging God's people about how they had invested in this, but now the economy was going to slump and now they had holes in their pockets and the money they thought they had they're going to lose because they had their priorities wrong. Giving to God is to be a priority. So let me challenge you and ask you, does giving have this priority in your life? And if it does, then you can fully expect God to meet your needs, to supply your needs and to bless you. And if it doesn't, that's something for you to consider, something for you to repent of, something to, that's the way it ought to be, God first. Biblical giving is also every believer's responsibility. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, each one of you, slaves, the poor, the unemployed, not exempted, each one of you, it is our privilege and it's our responsibility. And if you're a parent and a grandparent, it's your responsibility to teach your children this truth. We did with our kids that when we gave them pocket money, usually on the basis of chores, that we taught them to tithe. For one of our children, it came easily. They're a disciplined giver. For the other one, it was like cutting off an arm. But it was an important lesson to teach them. That happiness and contentment and joy in life doesn't come from this stuff. It comes from an attitude and a relationship with God. And it's more blessed to give than to receive. So be faithful in giving to God. Don't rob him. Biblical giving should be proportionate to our income. The Bible doesn't say that we're all to give the same flat amount, but the Bible does say that as God has prospered each one of us differently, as he has blessed us differently, so according to our income we are to be responsive. As he has been generous to us, so we are to be generous in giving to him and to others. It ought to be as you prosper. That's the first fruits. What does the Bible teach about tithing? Well, the pastor's had a discussion about this and we have slightly different views about it. My view, I think tithing is an Old Testament truth, but it's not a bad place to begin. A good guideline, Larry Burkett says, 
Take your income, 100% of it, 10% to God, 10% savings, and live off the 80. That's not a bad guideline. 10, 10, 80. And I would say to you, that's a good place to start. For us as followers of the Lord Jesus, we ought to think about a percentage. Now whether it's 10%, whether it's 5%, or whether it's 15 whatever it is, that's between you and God, my view. But whatever it is, what you determine it is, you need to be faithful in giving that, and giving that first. So it should be proportionate to your income. And then as God blesses you, as you are faithful, as you go forward in life and as God resources you, as he, you, he trusts you with more and more, I think your proportion, whether it's a fixed percentage, ought to, you ought to think about increasing it. So, for instance, if you start at 10%, then next year, if God blesses you this year, think about increasing it to 11 12%. And then next year, 15%. And that as you move forward and as God resources you, is that your percentage giving is increasing. Does that make sense? Something for you to think about, not simply to leave it at a fixed percentage, 10%, but rather ask the question, has God prospered me? And if he has, then what is my response to that? What's my responsibility? Like that Episcopalian church, they now have $36 million extra. What does God want us to do with this? You get a wage increase? What does God want you to do with that? Not simply, oh good, now I can spend it on me. I'd spend more on me. But to be committed to God's work, God's kingdom. Giving is not optional, it's mandatory. We ought to be giving. Biblical giving is to be a priority in our lives, it's every believer's responsibility and it's to be proportionate. We ought to plan to be rich in heaven. We ought to plan to be rich in heaven. To set our affections on things above, not on things on earth. I know I'm speaking to the converted, but I'm reminding you that uh, this is not our home. Our home is in glory. And depending on our faithfulness here and our giving here is going to determine the results there. Plan to be rich in heaven rather than rich on earth. I've already said, give to those who minister to you. I also ought to remind you and encourage you to plan for a short life, not a long one. Plan for a short life. You never know when the end will come. James says that our life is like a vapour that's here and then it's gone. Psalm says, Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may apply our heart to wisdom. Numbering our days. We should make Jesus Lord of every part of our life. Every part. In that very famous parable of the four soils, the Lord Jesus speaks about how the seed is scattered and on one of them, into the soil with thorns. The Lord Jesus explains that as being the worries of this life, the deceit of riches, And the desire for things, the worries of this life, the deceit of riches, and the desire for things come in and choke the word. And I think Satan giggles when that happens 
amongst us as God's people when our priorities are wrong. What should you do? Well, if you haven't already, then I would encourage you to make a plan to get alone with God and to determine how much you will give to his work in this place, to missions and to other ministries where the God's word is taught, where blessed are being one, where Christ is being honoured, how much will you give? 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says exactly that principle. Is that a person is to give what they have decided in their heart to give. So, what to do out of this message? Make a plan between you and God. If you're married, then do it as a couple. If you have a family, do it as a family. Don't be, <clears throat> don't be deceived by the what-ifs. What if the economy drops? Uh, what if I get unexpected expenses? What if I lose my job? What if... Don't let those worries deter you from having a plan, but it has to be a sensible plan. 10, 10, 80, something like that. Well, how much should you give? Well, it's between you and God. The Apostle Paul doesn't give specific instructions. He just simply says to give what you decide in your heart to give. And I'm saying not leftovers. Not simply as the Spirit leads on the day, but rather having a plan to think about your current circumstances, your future plans, your needs. Think about that and think carefully. Not luxuriously. This earth is not our home. Heaven is. We need to be impacted by the gospel in our attitude to possessions. Think about your current situation, your future plans. Pray and ask the Lord to direct you. Lord, how much is appropriate for us to give? You're the sovereign God. You have all the resources. You've given us this amount. We want to be faithful stewards of what you've entrusted to us. This much for us and family. This much for our needs. This much for church and missions and ministry and this much to the poor. And don't forget, and this much for savings. Having prayed, then plan. Come up with whatever the percentage is and commit yourself to it. Stick to it. Whether it's good or bad, the priority is God first. So, if you're going to be a tither, if you're going to decide to give 10%, and as I said, that's a good place to start. But for many of us, us included. 10% is too low. We should be giving above that for what God has resourced us with. So the four P's. It's a priority. It should be a percentage. And it should be progressive over the years. It ought to be increasing. I guess the last P that I haven't spoken too much about is outside of all of that. It's all about a relationship with God. And always be open to his spirit prompting you that in a conversation with some brother or sister or in talking to somebody, you may very well have resources that God has given you, that you've been saving or whatever, and God might prompt you to give that money to that needy individual immediately. It's a one-off thing. We've had that experience. I can remember a time when money was very tight for us <clears throat> and we've undoubtedly all been in those situations. And... 
we had scraped and saved and got some money together and we went to the bank and we got out $100 and we were going to use that to buy a particular object that we'd been saving for. Went and visited a family who were in great need and I just felt the Spirit prompting us. The $100, this is years ago, the $100 that you were going to spend on whatever it was, some microwave or whatever it was, is give that money to them. So I checked with Rhonda and, and we did. We had great joy in doing that and that family had great joy in receiving it, great blessing for them. Sometimes the Spirit will prompt you to do these one-off things. Be very open to that. So that's not the normal way. That's planned, thought through, a percentage or an amount that you're saying, I'm committed to being a faithful steward of the resources God has given me and that's what it's going to be. Evangelist and Pastor Greg Laurie tells this story about an older lady who lived in California and she lived in fear that one day she would be threatened that she would be attacked so in America of course she wanted to be prepared so she went and bought herself a pistol a jolly big one took lessons how to shoot it carried it around in her handbag one day having been shopping got her groceries she's pushing the trolley back to the car park to her car when she gets to her car there are four men sitting in it. So she takes out the gun and she screams, I have a gun and I know how to use it, now get out of my car. These four shocked young guys got out of the car and ran, scared. She was a bit shaken but pleased. So she unloaded her bag, she put it into the boot, the food into the boot, took the trolley back to the trolley thing when she got back into the car, put the keys in, she couldn't get the key into the ignition. Came to the realisation this wasn't her car. <laughs> her car was four or five spaces down, just looked the same. So she did what she had to do. She took the food out of the boot of that car and put it in her car and then she drove to the police station to turn herself in. When she got there and she told the desk sergeant, he nearly fell off his chair laughing, he pointed her down to the other end of the counter where there were four young men who were reporting a carjacking by a little five-foot white-haired lady with a very big pistol. No charges were filed. She thought it was her car, but it really belonged to somebody else. Sometimes we get all bent out of shape trying to keep and to defend what we think is ours. People ruin lives and relationships over money and what they think is rightfully theirs. Inheritance squabbles. God is calling us to think differently, to be stewards to be faithful managers of what he gives us because it belongs to him. I haven't said this, but in closing, let me say this one other thing. When you've decided what percentage you're going to give, 10%, whatever, God is just as concerned what you do with the other 90 as he is with what you do with the 10. We are managers of a whole lot. What part does God want me to contribute to his work and his kingdom, both in this church and in missions 
and in other ministries and what portion of this am I going to spend in a very wise way bearing in mind we are going to give an account what did you do with the resources that I gave you? Let me pray.